Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. Uh, Good morning on a sunny Saturday morning in Colorado. It is just gorgeous out. It's going to be a little warm next few days, Labor Day weekend, but a lot of people will like that, a lot of backyard barbecues, but a lot of people will be out at the lake enjoying maybe that last hurrah, especially boaters and just, you know, people out enjoying the water. But I tell you what, as far as the hunting and fishing goes, we are in it. We're headed into fall. The fishing, we're going to talk a lot about that later in the show. And the fall fishing, as we transition to some of my favorite of the year, it's predictable, it's dependable, it's a mix of numbers of fish and big fish. As we progress, as the water temperatures drop, which with this warm weather, it's going to take a couple more weeks to get really start going. But it can be just some of the best fishing of the year. But the hunting season, dove season started. Um, we've got upland game. We've got teal season coming up. Archery starts today. We've got bear season starting today. We've got muzzleloader in just a couple of weeks and rifle season, big game in just next uh, uh, next month. Things are, are coming on fast. I tell you what, we have a lot to talk about. And speaking of dove season, let's go to the phones. And one of our favorite upland game contributors from Pheasants Unlimited is joining us, Bob Hicks. Good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning, Terry. Pheasants forever. It's Ducks Unlimited and Pheasants forever. <laughs> what did I say? Pheasants Unlimited. <laughs> well, there, I put you guys together. You're a bigger group now. I know. I'm just kidding you. That's fine. <laughs> no, it's not fine. Good morning. I'm, you know, I got to wake up. I need more coffee this morning, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first time we've been called Pheasants Unlimited. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's the first time I ever did it. Hey, Bob, yeah. I do. I, I am glad to have you on. You know, you've been a contributor to the show. Gosh, going back, I, I'm. I don't even remember. It's when did we do an? We did an ice fishing television show, and that had to be what fifteen, twenty years ago. Probably twenty years ago, Terry. Yep, we did that. You when you were in the tackle business, you were a contributor. And since you've been with Pheasants Forever, which has been quite a while now, uh, you've always been a contributor. You and I used to do turkey hunting shows. We'll do one this spring again. Gosh, we used to come in. You'd come into the studio and bring turkey calls. So you've been contributing to the show for a long time. You're a, you're an all-around outdoorsman, but we're going to hit your sweet spot today, and that's Upland Game. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on. Uh, let's start out with dove season. is started started yesterday, and with this weather... I'm thinking we're headed for a great dove season. What do you think? Well, I was already out in the dove fields yesterday, and it was a great opening day. You know, September 1st is a, and Labor Day weekend is kind of an annual event around the country, whether you're a grouse hunter or a dove hunter or ready for football. And it's just, it's just a great time of the year. People like me get so excited when September 1st rolls around. It's the, kickoff of our fall, you know, hunting season and, and doves are a great way to, to, you know, introduce everybody to the sport of upland hunting and, and migratory bird hunting. It's, and it was great. There's a lot of doves in Colorado. Typically we, we get the big cold storm about a day or two before the opener or a day, day or two after. And, um, that the rainstorm we had a week ago did not affect the birds. I live within a mile of a state wildlife area on the South Platte River in eastern Colorado, and I was out walking my dogs this morning, Terry, and the, the gunfire is music to my ears. The guys are down in the river bottom banging away at the doves. Well, and looking at the weather forecast, looking out a ways, it doesn't look like we have a cold spell coming for a while. We could get a great maybe two, three weeks, and then if we're lucky, maybe we get a northern group to move down. This could be an extended dove season. I, I think so, and, and you, know, uh, um, you know, there's always birds to the north of us, and so sometimes when we do get that cold weather, our local birds move out, but, you know, people give up, and sometimes a week or so later, you know, uh, 
uh, a new group of birds moves in as they pass through heading to Mexico. Do you have any tips for maybe new dove hunters? You know, you mentioned that dove hunting is a great way to get into the upland game shotgun sports. Um, you can, and, and even for a youngster or a spouse or even of any beginning hunter, you can start with, say, a 20-gauge so you don't have to maybe jump right into a 12-gauge with the recoil. Um, they're good table fare. You don't have to do a lot of walking. Well, give me a few tips for the first-time dove hunters. Well, you know, uh, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Department, you know, has uh, two walking access they put put out. You know, one just came out this last week, which, you know, is what I would call the, the dove hunting uh, walking access book. Along with those properties, you have, you know, all the state wildlife areas along the South Platte River and the Arkansas River. And, and you know, this is all from, you know, I-25 East. Um, um, and there's plenty of places to get out. Um, you know, I went out and did a little scouting last week just, just to get out for the afternoon. And, you know, I went to a, a place that I did well last year and, and, you know, the, the crop fields have changed. They rotate crop fields, Terry. And so, you know, our doves are either eating, you know, wheat that was harvested in July and August or, Primarily, you know, wild sunflowers, not the big giant fields of sunflowers. And it's always a good idea when you harvest some doves and you're cleaning them to see what's in their, their crop, you know, which is where they hold their seeds. And, you know, you'll, you'll know right away when you start cleaning some birds, whether they're eating wheat or, or uh, sunflowers. And the other thing in eastern Colorado is a lot of farmers the last 10 years have really started to produce millet which is bird seed. You know, what you see for sale in the, in the, in the pet department at, at your stores to put in your bird feeders is millet, little white seed. And um, this is the time of year they thrash the millet and they let it stand like hay for a week or two to dry before they, they bale it or however they, they pick it up. I've actually never seen them pick up the, the millet, but they, they, they cut, they swap it, and it's in rows, and it's just, it's just a smorgasbord of food for the doves. So, um, doves need a few things, Terry. They need feed. They need a roost. You know, they they go like to roost in the shaded trees because it's hot, and they need water. So, you know, and they they have to pass through those places. So, a lot of people set up and and hunt them kind of in their flyway. Uh, some people find that really good feeding source and set up there. And you can use decoys. You know, they have a Mojo Dove decoy. They have little um, um, folding doves that you can have a, uh, a hose line clip. You can clip to a wire or the limb of a tree. Those always help to track them in a little closer so you can get a little closer shot. And then, you know, my favorite place is when you get lucky and can find the water hole. Um, you know, they come to water twice a day. They come in the morning after they feed. And they come in the evening, you know, late afternoon, early evening after they feed, get a drink of water, and then fly to the roost. Yeah, and, you know, it's we can't spend too much more time on doves because I want to cover some other things. But that's great advice. And the thing with doves is you don't have to do a lot of walking. Like you said, you can set up a lot of times, and they'll just come to you. So it's a great one to get kids involved so you don't wear them out, and they can just have a lot of fun. I want to change gears on you real quick. Um, we had some questions about mountain grouse. I've never hunted mountain grouse. Do you have any tips there? You bet. The other thing with September 1st is, you know, the opener of our blue grouse season, or some people refer to them as dusky grouse. Um, and we also have sharp-tailed grouse, similar to what you grew up with in Minnesota and Michigan, but it's a little different species. Um, you know, the the best areas of Colorado, um, you know, are the Uncompadre Plateau, um, the Gore Range, you know, those those hills and mountains up above Vail and Eagle and down through the Blue River Valley. And then, of course, over um, in the Steamboat Springs area, that mountain range up by Rabbit Ears Pass. Um, one of the key things, one of the best grouse hunters I know um, gave me a really good tip actually last year and said, look for, look for the wild roses. And, um, 
And I talked to another grouse hunter after I got that tip, and I asked that person. They said, oh, yeah, absolutely. The place I hunt's full of wild roses. So um, they're they're kind of a funny bird. You know, it, it's uh, people really guard their blue grouse spots. Uh, like uh, like their savings account, Terry. <laughs> they, you know, uh, they, you know, but like like anything, if if you get up and, and do some scouting, and the best thing is really, it's archery season up in the mountains, and so, you know, when I've had success, I ran into archery hunters and asked them, you know, have you guys seen any blue grouse? You know, and and you know, they they usually will give up that information more than a grouse hunter will. So this is the time of year to get up and and uh, if you want some cooler conditions and want a chance to work your dog a little bit, um, you know, go give those blue grouse a try. A try and they are a lot of people will tell you they are the best upland bird species to eat, uh, rough grouse and blue grouse. Yeah, I ate a lot of rough grouse up in Minnesota. We hunted them constantly and just loved it. Uh, just a great upland game bird. Hey, let's switch gears a little bit, Bob. And uh, we we went through a few years ago some of the best pheasant seasons in Colorado. And this is, of course, pheasant season. It's a couple months off yet. Uh, but then we had some really disastrous drought weather. Habitat was re- declined for various reasons. And Got, you know, it got a little tough. There were birds you had to work for them, but it got a little tough. What do we think we're looking at for this year's pheasant season coming up? Oh, I, I think it's going to absolutely be better than last year. It's not going to be great. The habitat's going to be great. You know, we had, you know, obviously a heavy winter with a lot of snow, and, you know, the birds were, you know, left out there to survive. But pheasants are resilient, and they're survivors. And the birds that made it through last winter have had a blessing of the best habitat we've seen in at least five or ten years. Um, And, you know, I've never seen more grasshoppers in my life in eastern Colorado than we have this year. And that's what the baby pheasants need are insects. And so um, the birds we had survived, I am sure, had good hatches and good clutches of babies. So it'll be a rebuilding process. Um, it's kind of like our lakes out here in eastern Colorado where I live. You know, Jumbo was drained, and, you know, Pruitt and Jackson are really struggling and sterling. And, and you know, the department's restocking those lakes, and in a couple years they'll be back strong. And I'm kind of a very optimistic person. I, I feel we've broken the back of this drought. If we have two or three more good years of moisture, you know, our birds will be back and, um, you know, it's not like they're gone. You're going to have to get out there and work for them. Um, and the good news for the serious hunters, there'll probably be less people in the field because when there's not a lot of pheasants, most people give up, but, um, I'm somebody who grew up hunting in Eastern Colorado and I, I've gone through the great years and I've gone through the lean years. And it's all to me about getting out there and the camaraderie and working your dog and being with friends and then, Join the great state we live in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We're going to run out of time here, so I want to take a couple minutes and talk about Pheasants Forever. I do know the name of the group, actually. So, and and tell people the importance. Tell people the importance of what Pheasants Forever do, does and the importance of supporting them. Well, you know, I have a great team in Colorado. I uh, I have a whole team of habitat people that work with me and. Our partners with Parks and Wildlife and the NRCS, uh, we now have a state coordinator that manages that part of the team. I primarily work with our chapters. Um, I think we're up to 10 positions, nine positions now, Terry. I should have had my map pulled up here, but, you know, we have biologists placed all throughout eastern Colorado. Last year, we went in a new partnership with Colorado Parks and Wildlife and added two new positions that are called habitat specialists, those two People are based in Lamar, working in southeast Colorado, actually out there planting habitat. Um, we are doing everything we can to work with um, private landowners to help they, them be um, productive and make a solid living as a producer, but also working with them to set aside some acres for, for, for pheasants and other wildlife. And our team's doing a great job. We've been, you know, 
you know, we've been the initial partner of the corners program in Colorado, helping plant pivot corners into habitat. And, and um, we just need some moisture, but our, our team's working hard on it. And, um, you know, they're starting to see some baby broods of pheasants and some quail. So we're going to have some birds out there this year, Terry. How do I join Pheasants Forever or support it? Well, you know, we have chapters all over Colorado. We have chapters in Colorado Springs, Denver, Fort Collins, Greeley, and then scattered throughout eastern Colorado, uh, Yuma, Phillips County, you know, Holyoke, where I live in Fort Morgan, and then all throughout eastern Colorado. And then, you know, people can join online anytime they want. Um, like I tell people, Terry, we're, our, our fall issue is about to be released, and that's, you know, that's worth the $35 membership to get our fall issue, which gives the entire United States forecast of both pheasants and quail and other upland birds. And if you're a diehard bird hunter like me and you travel to other states, this is a way where you can, you know, see what's going on throughout the country. And that stuff's also available online. If people want to get online here in a few weeks, that, that report will be posted. But you know, we're a great national conservation group. Um, we have a lot of strong chapters in Colorado. We're always looking for volunteers to join our chapters or, you know, at least come to our banquets and, and uh, you know, come enjoy the night, have some good food, camaraderie, break bread with us, and, uh, you know, hopefully donate a little money so we can continue to work on our mission. Bob, we're out of time, but great, great, great segment, great information. Hope people get out and enjoy the upland bird this fall. It's going to be a beautiful weather. It's always good to hunt. You may have to work for the birds, but it's going to be great to be out there. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Terry. Have a great Labor Day. You bet. Bob Hicks with Pheasants Forever. Chris, great guy. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to take you to an event right in your backyard that involves birds, but a different kind in a different way. On Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. wall tells me when to get up. The clock on the wall tells me when I've done enough. You see that clock on the wall, it controls my very soul. That on the wall it will never let me go you're listening to terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan brought to you in part by jack's outdoor gear that little ditty was a preview of our wickstrom and dobra's newest single which is being released next week by the end of next week you should be able to uh, find clock on the wall on all your favorite streaming services but let's go to the phone right now and joining us from i think she's probably at cherry creek park but she's going to talk to us about bar lake state park michelle good morning michelle good morning terry how are you today how are you doing keeping up with two parks on a busy holiday it's good i am actually at cherry creek today we're getting set up for a, a boating safety event at the swim beach so everyone should come by the swim beach at cherry creek today too all right, but you want to talk about an event coming up at, at Bar Lake, and that's your annual birding festival. That's really a big deal out there, isn't it? It is. You know, fall is a great time of year to come out to Bar Lake. The The weather is usually a little bit cooler, we hope, but the Fall Birding Festival is our annual event. Um, it starts at 7 a.m. We'll start with some guided um, bird tours. We have toddler story time at 9.30. We have a nature journaling workshop at 9 to 11. We have a mindful birding walk um, from 10 to 11. The banding station is open. You do have to reserve that. You can go through the Bird Conservancy of the Rockies. We have a whole kids area where we'll have face painter, lots of informational booths. We have live raptor presentations. And it's also a fundraiser for the Friends of Bar Lake. We'll have a pancake breakfast from 8.30 to 10.30. So it's just a great day to come out to Bar Lake and learn and be a part of learning about birds. Now, if people want to get more information, I assume it's on the Bar Lake State Park Facebook page? It is, because it's hosted by the Bird Conservancy of the Rockies, which is housed at Bar Lake and one of our wonderful partners. But you can go to the CPW website or the Bar Lake Facebook page or even the Bird Conservancy of the Rockies, and it's all all posted there. And, you know, it's, this is next Saturday from 7 to 12. If you're into birding at all, or if you're just into wildlife watching or you enjoy watching birds, what a great event. But Bar Lake is a great place to come watch birds year-round, isn't it? 
It is. You know, we're just 25 minutes east of Denver in Brighton, Colorado. So you can come. It's a quick day trip. So you can come and visit our nature center, which has lots of great exhibits. You can take a a walk all the way around the lake. It's 8.8 miles. And if you want, you know, go fishing, too. Shore fishing is picking up now that the weather is kind of getting cooler and our water levels are a little bit down. But this year we're going to be able to keep the boat ramp, I think, open all the way through September. That's awesome. And so, and you talked about shore fishing. Because the water's a little bit down, that explore, ex- exposes some more shore opportunities, doesn't it? It does. It's actually a lot um, easier to fish from shore in the fall. So there's lots of beach area. So it's, it's a great time to come out to Bar Lake. And you've got a number of species there. I mean, walleye and wipers, I believe perch, panfish, bass, and uh, well, you've got... Do you have catfish? Do they still put tiger muskie in there? Yeah, we have catfish, and they've been stocking tiger muskie since 2016. Now, I've never seen one come out. Um, I've heard some great fish stories, but I do not have any pictures. And then as the weather cools, they'll typically they'll put more trout in there again as the weather yeah. cools. And, yeah. and you know what? If we get cold enough weather, you can even ice fish it. But the, the nice thing about it, too, especially, well, any time of the year, if you want to get out and fish um, Bar Lake, even if you want kayaks and canoes, because you have a 10-horsepower restriction on your big boats, now you can take your big boats out there as long as you don't run your big motor um, over 10 horsepower, so you have a kicker or a troller motor. But it's a great place to go kayaking or canoeing, fishing, or just do for pleasure because you don't have all the wakes. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, our water levels were about six feet above what we are normal for this year so we still have a lot of water so it's great to come out and canoe kayak or even paddleboard you know something else you have out there archery hunting is just starting now and we're going to get some frustrated people coming in from the field this weekend that missed some shots and they're going to wonder why you guys have the facilities to let them practice don't you we do so we have a standing range from 10 to 100 yards And then we have our 3D range, which we just got a bunch of new 3D targets, and there's 10 stations. And so you can walk and shoot at these different stations. And and there's no charge for that other than your parks fee, is that right? Yeah, it's absolutely free. So just your parks pass to get in, and you can enjoy the archery range. All right. Now, you also have another festival coming up at the end of September. Tell us about that. We do. We have it. It's our Lantern Festival, and it's sponsored by the Richard Lambert Foundation. And they're a wonderful nonprofit in the city of Brighton that helps out with grief counseling. So it's a really great um, nonprofit to support. But it's our, I think it'll be our third one. And it's just a great opportunity to come out from 3 to 8 on September 23rd. And you can get, you buy tickets through the Richard Lambert Foundation, and then you get to decorate your lantern and then put it out onto the lake. It's just, it's just beautiful, uh, a very moving um, night. There'll be music and food trucks. It's just great to be there. Awesome. You put so many events. Hopefully, you know, you're transitioning to Cherry Creek, and congratulations again on the promotion. But hopefully whoever takes over Bar Lake will continue the tradition that you've done. You've turned Bar Lake into just this bevy of activities and special events and promotions and really a tremendous resource. And we want to thank you again for everything you've done for Bar Lake, and we're looking forward to see what you do at Cherry Creek. Well, thank you, Terry. You have a great weekend. All right. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for joining us. As always, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, that birding festival, by the way, is next Saturday, 7 to 12. They ban the birds. They have walks. They have uh, hikes. They have guided hikes where they explain the birds. And you'll see everything from little bitty sparrows up to eagles that are fledged and nesting. And it's just, Bar Lake is a tremendous facility right, right on the edge of town. If you took Tower Road, just past 120th Avenue, you'd virtually run into Bar Lake. Now you have to make a couple turns to get to the entrance, but it's right there. And it is just, it's such a a great resource right next to the metro area. We're going to take a time out and we come back. We're going to talk fishing and there's some fishing going on, let me tell you. And a lot more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
Let's go to the phone. Joining us, he's always a great resource. Because of his guiding and his running his shop, he is on top of the fishing in Colorado, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, I want to start out with something in the metro area right now. We've had this warm spell. We had a, a really cool, damp beginning to summer and even into the middle of summer. And all the reports I'm hearing from lakes like Cherry Creek, Chatfield, and even Pueblo and some of the other lakes up, up around uh, is that the, the style of fishing, the, what's happening on the lakes, isn't more like a fall transition. It's more like a middle of July bite. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. We still have massive numbers of bait fish. And with the late start to this heat, we really haven't seen much of a turnaround on water temperatures dropping at all yet. We still are in the high 70s and low 80s, depending upon the lake you're on. But with all the bait fish out there, we still are finding those fish being suspended. And the trolling bite really is the best right now. And, and there has not been a whole lot of success on the, the reactionary snap jigging type presentations. Yeah, and you know, normally we're into that bite, we're getting into it and it gets heavier and heavier and it will come, we will get that. But all this summer, um, you know, we had a bait bite with a fish stuck on structure for the longest time where you could use Lindy rigs or jigs tipped with a minnow or jigs with a gulp minnow or, or a, a leech and that was going well. and. People love to fish that way, and a lot of people have trouble transitioning. I remember when I did some television shows at Glendo in the middle of July, and people used to quit fishing Glendo. It would fish so good up till about 4th of July, and then they quit because they couldn't find the fish anymore. Well, Gary Darling and I went up there just to show them, and we were fishing over 60 feet of water, maybe 4 to 10 feet deep. And we couldn't, we had to take the lines out of the water to talk to the camera. We were so successful. What's happening at Cherry Creek and Chatfield along those lines? Yeah, the same kind of story is definitely happening, particularly at Cherry Creek. Cherry Creek has a, a very high level of bait fish right now. Um, they're pretty much everywhere that you go. You can't really escape them on your sonar. And when that happens, as you mentioned, those walleyes peel off of the structure and start going more toward the surface to eat those bait fish. But unlike bass species, they don't really crash on the surface at all. So you can't visually see where they are. And it does require covering quite a bit of water to be able to successfully catch those fish. And in order to do that, we a lot of times are engaging various sizes of crankbaits. Number fours and fives still are the best right now. And I a lot of times have preference toward the Salmo Hornets. But a flicker shad or a shad rab can also get the job done. But we're placing those baits up high in the water column behind the planer boards and then working them out away from the boat. If I have multiple people in my boat, I'll, I'll do four and or six planer boards. And you'll vary your depths depending upon the day. And, and it's been kind of challenging because we have not seen a lot of a pattern to where I can go duplicate the same thing day in and day out. Certainly the trolling pattern is, is there. But some days I'm, I'm 50 feet back, some days I'm 30 feet, some days 20, and some days they're more suspended in the middle of the water column. But many times I find that a high sun and a little bit lower wind drive those bait fish towards the surface, and ironically those walleyes are right underneath them. So you'll find those fish pretty high in the water column, even on the bright days. And a lot of people think that, oh, it's summertime, these walleyes are going to go deep, they're a cold water fish is kind of the misconception. But in reality, it's kind of the exact opposite there very active right yeah. now and they're chasing those bait high yeah you know all the things you can throw out everything else if you know where the food is now other things affect them but food is always going to be number one especially this time of the year they're going to start fattening up their metabolism is high you know another thing about trolling this time of the year trolling isn't just dragging lures around you have to have some idea on how your presentation your depth your speed and things like that you have to learn it and it takes time but Right now, you, you don't need lead core. Uh, a line counter reel will help you a lot. But if you have a way to measure your line so you know how much line you're putting out, whether it's right behind the boat or behind your planer board, you know you take a couple planer boards and a couple long rods, and if you have a way to measure the line, because you're not needing any special weighting to get deep, you can really start learning trolling with some basic equipment. Totally agree. And as you mentioned, though, those line counters are something that I find really helps to catch a lot more fish because it allows you to then duplicate and develop a pattern. You're not guessing how far out you're putting it. And 
you don't necessarily even need a line counter reel. There's a lot of aftermarket devices that you can slip on a rod, even on a spinning rod if you wanted, and run that line through that counter, and then you can disconnect the counter again to be able to retrieve uh, your, your lure back in once a fish eats. But being able to find out that exact depth and keep it at the same level every time is critical. Now, you mentioned Cherry Creek. Is Chatfield pretty much the same? Very similar. There's a little bit less bait fish out there. You can get a bit more of a casting bite going on. There's a really high population of fish in that 12 to 13 inch range that you're having to fight through. And I'm finding I'm catching more of those casting, jigging wraps and blades. And I'm finding the bigger fish up underneath those bait schools. But it does require more movement to find where the bait is on that given bay. Cherry Creek, it's kind of everywhere but chadfield there's some days they'll be pushed up against the dam there's some days they're more toward no wake zone so spending a bit of time with your side imaging if you've got it or just a straight standard sonar to find where those the bait is is a little uh it's going to definitely help you out there yeah and you know the thing too with uh with chadfield is that catching those little fish you talked about having to fight through them bodes so well for the health of that fishery and now with all the water that came into that lake this year i think we're going to see a real boon and and the bait finally coming back we should see a real we have we've had great fishing there for the whole last couple of years i think it's going to bode well for the health of that fishery one other quick comment i want to make we have we talk so much about the walleyes a lot of people just want to go catch fish there's a great smallmouth bass population at chatfield how's that doing Doing very well, and and the deal with the smallmouth, they and mentioning the smaller fish. There's definitely a lot of smaller ones in there, but you have opportunities at, at bigger smallmouth. And this time of year, especially with this bait, they are very willing to come up to the surface early and late in the day. So if you are on foot, or even if you're you're in the boat, either one, work in the dam faces and and work in the rock faces with. Uh, a popper or a whopper plopper can be incredibly effective. And then once the day progresses and the sun comes up, slow rolling swim baits or casting a shallow diving crankbait along the rocks, you can also have a ton of success. And then the classic presentations of things like Sankos work well. And that dam face at Chatfield is one of the snaggiest dam faces I've ever fished. And working a, a weightless Sanko, a Gary Yamamoto, or, or a uh, Berkeley General that have an ability to sink on their own with no weight will keep you out of the rocks. And if you fish it slowly, those bass love them. You know, and I, just a side note, I've heard Pueblo is fishing just about exactly the same as Chatfield. And they're li- great walleye trolling bait and the bass, both large and smallmouth. Smallmouth are everywhere. The spots are everywhere. And then the largemouth are kind of in the coves down there. So that's another one. Any other warm water lakes you want to talk about before we move on to some other stuff? A lot of the stuff in northeastern Colorado is a bit on rebuild right now. There's been a little bit of action going on out at Bar Lake. But if you're looking for a trip to maybe incorporate some good dove hunting in, John Martin may be one on my radar, do an evening hunt or a morning hunt, and then fish the rest of the time. Uh, Same kind of deal, trolling across the middle of that lake with the high levels of bait fish will provide some action with white bass as well as some of the saw guys and maybe an occasional wiper or crappie. I want to make a – let's move on to some other waters now. I want to make a mention of the Platte. The Platte River had some pretty severe flooding where some sediment washed in out of the old burn scars from the Hayman fire. Um, Are you hearing anything about that? I think it's just something that's probably best left to rebuild for a while. Yeah, and I mean, I have heard some negative stuff, but then I've also talked to a bunch of guides up there, and they've been saying that it's not quite as bad as what they were initially thinking. It does seem like a lot of the flooding came from the upper portions of Cheeseman Canyon, which didn't quite have as much silt. It was more of kind of a straight sediment deal without as much burn scar up there, at least. Um, but I've been hearing there's been some good hatches coming off, and guys are catching some fish. But Cheeseman itself is just challenging to access because a lot of the trail did get washed out. All right, let's go up in the mountains. I mean, we've got great weather. It's going to be still warm next week. This is what a time to get up in the mountains and enjoy this warm weather. And yet the water, nights are cool up there. The water's cooling up there. And both the lakes and rivers are starting to fish fantastic. What are you hearing up in the mountains? The river opportunities right now are exceptional. We don't have high water temperatures. There's some fantastic hatches coming off. So freestone rivers are really what I would be focusing on, whether it be a spinning rod or a fly rod. 
Uh, the sections of the Arkansas from Salida all the way to Leadville have been incredibly productive. The lower sections do really good with some deeper nymphing rigs as well as spinning rods. But the further you go upstream, the more I'll be working uh, my dry dropper fishing, especially still hoppers and PMD droppers are going to be really productive throughout the entire pocket water areas. And the same kind of thing goes up on the Colorado as well as the Eagle. There's been really good hatches coming off caddis and PMDs uh, pretty much every single night. Uh, and then the terrestrials are still very strong. We haven't had a lot of freezing temperatures or really any yet. So the hoppers are everywhere and running a, a big fluffy chubby Chernobyl or something like a style cups hopper with a variety of beadhead nymphs in that pocket water is really going to be worthwhile. And you're going to have some good aggressive strikes right now. So it's really one of the, I think going to be one of the best falls we've seen in a while as far as fly fishing on the rivers. And then the lakes are also doing good steamboat lake in particular. I've had some fantastic reports on lately. The tube jigs working on the outside edges on the spinning rods have been one of the best types of presentations. And I'm talking a two and a half to a three and a half inch brown tube worked like a crawfish along those edges have really been producing some big fish, but there's good trolling activities up there. And then you also have a lot of aquatic scuds as well as some calabatus still coming off. So there's good opportunities for fly fishermen as well. You know, you talked about a two and a half to three and a half inch tube. Most people shy away from that on trout because they think it's too big and people don't catch as many big trout as they could because they, and I, I get guilty of it myself, downsize baits too much. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, we go out on the ice and we're throwing these little micro baits and you're fly fishing and fishing the small stuff. But when you have those lakes that have good populations of crawfish, those trout love eating those craws and a two and a half inch really imitates that perfectly. You can work it slowly and hop it on the bottom. I've also done well working it a bit faster with an erratic rod tip. Uh, to really jerk it back and forth. And that really works best if you run a flat jig head from Gets It because it allows it to uh, kind of have almost a side-to-side walking the dog action on the jerks. But it is, in my opinion, one of the best presentations if I need to catch a trout in the lake. All right, let's, well, you got some time. Are you hearing anything on kokanee? Yes, so the kokanee bite has been starting to, pick up uh, been hearing some reports on Wolford guys are going and finding fish uh, starting to, to really congregate particularly down toward the dam area so the folks with uh, live imaging sonar have been doing better just because they're able to stay on those schools but finding those schools and vertical jigging them will be productive for the next couple of weeks and also up on Green Mountain Reservoir uh, they've done a pretty good job getting a nice kokanee population back in there at least for this particular year class we should have some snagging opportunities coming up or definitely early on that still season did open yesterday, but a lot of times you won't find them in the river for another couple of weeks. Uh, right now they're doing the same thing. They would be at Wolford where they'll begin to get in bigger schools and you can vertical jig them with heavier spoons, half to one ounce, brighter colors as well. The pinks and the oranges really are the best, but if you can find those schools and stay on them, you can have really good days. I mean, you'll be able to fill your limit quickly and have a lot of fish that you can, can catch and release. The action is fast-paced, so that's a nice opportunity. And then if you're not finding the salmon on those lakes, there are good lake trout going on at Green Mountain. Uh, they're finding them in the deeper water on structure. And when I explain to, to different customers about that, I kind of describe them this time of year as uh, deep water walleye. They're going to be on deeper structure points, drop-offs, various bottom composition changes. And if you can utilize your sonar like you would for walleye fishing, you can find those fish on those drop-offs and really do pretty good vertical jigging. My friend, we are out of time. If people want more information, how do they find you? I'm a discount fishing tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right. Great report, Austin. Uh, Look forward to talking to you again really soon. Thank you so much, Terry. You bet. Austin Parr, a great resource. We're going to take a time out, and we'll be back with more outdoor information on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Big old clock says I'm running out of time. Hurry up and slow down. Don't step out of line. Beginning to end the measure of our lives. Oh, I got to go. It's a half past five. 
You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear. That little bumper intro was another cut from Wickstrom and Dobrith's new single that um, will be coming out next week, probably available on most streaming streaming services by the end of the week. It sometimes takes a while to get up. The actual release date, I think, is Wednesday, but sometimes it takes it a while to hit those. Um, we appreciate it. I know I shamelessly plug our music on my show, but uh, it's part of who we are. The music and the outdoors have been part of my life for since I was a very little boy, and they, they're almost inseparable to me. So if sometime you want to go to your favorite streaming service and listen to Wickstrom and Dobrith, just search us or go to all your... Search us on social media. You'll find out all about us. couple things. One, um, the fishing report is on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. You should follow us on Facebook anyway. We talk, we post a lot of the information that we cover on the show on Facebook during the week. We also give you upcoming events or upcoming who's going to be on a lot of times. We put video links up there. And Karen puts the fishing report up there as soon as it comes out. If, if we get one, we haven't had one for a while. They've had some personnel changes. So there is a brand new fishing report that just came out yesterday. It's on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So go and check that out. Also, I tried to get the folks from Blue Mesa on talk about the fishing. Blue Mesa right now is fishing so well. Now, the lake trout are still deep. They're catchable, but they're deep. But the the brown and the rainbow trout are just on fire. They're having an incredible bite up there. Kokanee are starting to show up. It's not going to be a banner kokanee year, but they are starting to see them. But there's a bite going on at Blue Mesa on jumbo perch. I'm talking perch that could rival the state record and regularly catching perch in the 12 to 14 inch range. Now there's been perch in Blue Mesa for quite a while. They were illegally introduced. They had been kind of elusive. They would find some and they would find schools of small perch. But over the last two, three years, the average size of these fish has been growing. And don't get me wrong, there's still a lot of little ones. In fact, the high water they had this year made for a great spawn for the perch, so they should continue to thrive, uh, but there is starting to be groups of large, large perch all over the lake. If you want more information on that, I would get a hold of the guys at GSO Fishing. Just go to gsofishing.com. That's Andy Cochran and his group, just the nicest people in the world. You can book a guide trip with them, or you can just, they'll give you information. They love to support the fishing industry. But right now, if you're looking to take a trip while the weather is still good, uh, the lake trout will kick in as the water cools as we get later into fall. There, You can catch them now, but they're fairly deep. But uh, the rainbows, the browns, and those perch are just on fire at Blue Mesa. I'm going to get Andy on the show here I was going to try to get him in the next couple of weeks, but he's busy. So I think the 16th, Andy's going to come on, and we're going to talk more about what's going on in the lake. And everything should be just going crazy up there by then. Also, remember that a lot of hunting seasons are starting. Today, we, uh, we've got, right now, we've got dove season and grouse season started yesterday. Bear rifle season started today. Archery season started today. And, uh, Muzzle loader is coming up here quickly, and uh, there's going to be a lot of people in the field. Now, a lot, a lot of them aren't going to be hunting. A lot of you will be hunting. A lot of you will be just hiking, bird watching, scouting for big game. So let's just be aware that there's a lot of people out in the field right now, and everybody kind of, you know, we all want to have fun out there, and we all want everybody else to have fun. But let's just be courteous and make sure we stay safe with all these people out in the field. So we'll, with that in mind, let's take a time out, and when we come back, I think we're going to be talking hunting with one of our favorite hunting experts and one of the best experts in the United States. Just don't tell them I told you that. Well, all that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Well, let's go to the phones. And joining us, as he does every Saturday at this time, Mr. Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing good. You didn't get to hear the end of that last segment, did you? 
United States. I recorded it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I gotta be care. I gotta be careful what I say. <laughs> hey, before we get talking about hunting, and there's so much of it going on and kicking off and taking right now, I saw a couple posts with a couple kiddos with their first doves. I'll tell you what, Terry. You know that I love dove hunting as much as about anything in life. My kids, since they've been one year old, have never missed an opener with me. You know, I mean, from literally in a car seat to a stroller. Uh, running around to upgrading to the BB gun. And this year they had shotguns of their own. Uh, it was so awesome. I left my shotgun in the truck. We focused on the kids. They each got their first doves and a handful of others. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. Oh, you know what? You just made a comment that I want to really, I don't want to let, let it go by. You left your shotgun in the trunk. I am so adamant about when I'm teaching, well, and especially fishing, but hunting too. Hunting can be a little different depending on the situation. But if you take the kids with you when you go fishing or you go hunting, it's never the same experience as if you take them fishing or take them hunting. And don't worry about yourself. Worry about them. Leave your equipment in the car and help them. It just, it's so rewarding and it works so much better. It was awesome. You know, we, uh, I mean, uh, we do a lot of stuff with youth. I feel like I have some experience going into it. So, you know, we loaded up on snacks. We had every snack and drink you could ever imagine. We kind of had a different play, you know, from how I normally would hunt them in more of the wooded areas and that really fast shooting. We did more of the water set where we could see them coming from a distance. Uh, we we kind of optimized the situation to help them, let the birds come in, uh, let them slow down a little bit, uh, you know, put it in a more safe environment, and we had such a good time. Well, you know, and dove hunting is such an incredible way to get youth started or anybody that hasn't hunted much. <clears throat> dove hunting, you can do it with a lower gauge shotgun, get rid of some of the recoil. You don't have to do a lot of walking. Like you said, you can set up, the birds will come to you. It's just a perfect thing to get people introduced to hunting. In fact, our next segment with JR from Colorado Clays, we're going to talk a little bit about getting your gun ready for dove hunting. But let's get into some of the other. There's a lot going on out there, Nate. There is a lot going on. I do have to say one more thing about the doves. The, the, the space, the number one, first couple of doves came in the shot, and the kid turned around and goes, man, those are harder than the clay pigeons. They had this awesome experience leading up to this shooting clays, and uh, they were like, that was harder. But then when they turn around off the shotgun and the smile on their face after they get one, uh, absolutely priceless. So, so it's awesome. But, uh, Terry, we do. We have a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, fall fishing now is in full swing, so that's exciting. But today is a big day. We have dove happening. And I think this year we have two really big outlooks on dove. Right now, pretty much statewide, we have got a ton of birds. So there are birds statewide. It's awesome. I think as we get our first big kind of cold front, I think we're going to lose some of our southern birds, but I think we're going to gain a lot of birds from the north. So I think this year more than ever, we're going to have a little bit of an extended dove season. So I'm really excited about that to get back out uh, and take advantage of that. Uh, on the other spin of things, we're starting off today opening archery uh, for deer and elk. And I have to say that this is probably one of the strongest starts of the elk season that we've seen in a long time. That full moon that fell on Wednesday has absolutely kicked off a rut situation. We were talking about on the radio show last week how it wasn't quite happening. Literally, I mean, like a, a freight train coming through Sunday, Monday, right after last week's show, all of a sudden, the bulls separated. The bulls started bugling, gathering cows. I saw multiple harems of up to 60 to 80 cows, even 100 in one situation. So all of a sudden, we got into full swing for that opener of that moon uh, on Wednesday, which led us to the opener of the archery season today, and these animals are still pretty run up. Now, with that, I want to encourage everybody. Don't get used to it. I do think that the first estrus phase of the cows hit uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. A handful of animals are still in it, but I do think they will come out of that. Our new moon comes up on the 14th of September, which is right in the middle of muzzleloader. But, uh, but I think right now I know a lot of bulls that have been, that have been harvested so far this morning. Um, I know that it is off to gangbusters. I talked to a lot of guys in camp last night. 
on really active bugling bulls getting ready for today. Um, so I think we're really strong, but again, I would anticipate that kind of fading off a little bit and then really ramping up uh, in about 10 days from now. So that's kind of where we're at with that uh, for archery. And then obviously muzzleloader starts next weekend, same thing. If you have limited time, the tail end of muzzleloader, the second weekend, is going to be that peak. That new moon's going to fall on Thursday the 14th, and I think you're going to see some pretty major estrus spikes that time, and I think you're going to have some major rut activity. And obviously a new moon uh, will somewhat slow them down just a hair at their nighttime activity and really boost the daytime activity. So if you're a muzzleloader going into this next season, I would really put emphasis on the second half and not so much the first half uh, on that season. And then same thing, archery is going to continue right through. But like always, I would hunt hard now and then, again, kind of take your time a little bit. So this year I'm predicting opening weekend being strong, middle of the season being really strong, and then we'll hit the third Estes phase. William was on the last weekend and that being strong. So I think there's going to be three major peaks uh, to the bugling rut activity in Colorado this year from what we've seen. Really spent a lot of time this week studying animals, watching behavior, and really getting kind of a, a grasp on everything. So that's kind of the prediction of where we're at. Um, and I know we're going to have a couple of questions, but I do have to jump on one other thing that we had a lot of questions about, and I promised people I would talk about it on the air today. Last weekend, I was at Bass Pro Shops for the Fall Hunting Classic, and I had a lot of questions about muzzleloaders. We talk about this every year, Terry, so this is not a new conversation, but uh, I think it's something that we have to hit on. Everybody asks, what bullet powder combination should they be shooting? Obviously, we have to shoot that raw powder. We can't shoot powder pellets or, or anything like that, and obviously, we have to shoot a single straight-walled slug, uh, you know, no sort of sabot or anything like that. Um, so with that, you go to the average retailer and you're going to have a lot of power belt bullets and then a handful of others. Um, there's a lot of good bullets out there. The biggest thing is matching your bullet to your powder. One of the biggest mistakes that the average muzzleloader does in Colorado is they take a, a softer power belt bullet or a softer bullet in general, whatever brand, but they take a softer bullet and they overpowder it and they create a very high-velocity, hard-hitting round. But the problem is on a shoulder shot on an elk or a frontal shot, that bullet has so much velocity that it literally grenades on impact, causes a lot of kind of that flesh wound, but it's not devastating the vital organs, and we lose a lot of elk. So when you're doing your bullets, when you're practicing, when you're getting ready right now, I'm not saying you have to go buy more bullets, but if you have that ballistic tip-type bullet, a softer bullet, I tone down my powder. So on my particular muzzleloader, if I am shooting a, a harder bullet, like a Thor, like a Hornady, on those I'm shooting 100 to 105 grains of powder. That gives me my best ballistic coefficiency. It gives me my best groups at distance, and that's my go-to. If I shoot a softer bullet, like a softer you know, green tip power belt, I step down to 85 to 90 grains of powder. That's going to allow that bullet to go in, penetrate that six, seven, eight inches, then expand and cause that devastation in the vital organs and allow me to have a cleaner harvest. So moral of the story, I'm not saying you have to go out and buy stuff, but when you're dialing in your rounds, if you're shooting a softer bullet, I highly suggest toning down that powder a little bit. If you're shooting a harder bullet, you can stick with that upper grains of that powder. But I promise you, there's more wounds in the muzzleloader season than almost all the other seasons combined. It blows my mind, even compared to the archery. Muzzleloaders don't bleed really well, so you usually don't have a great blood trail. Uh, and obviously, again, it, it hits the animal hard, but the overall devastation isn't as functional as you would think. So keep that in mind. You have a week to practice. Again, don't go out and buy stuff. Play with your powder ratio to that bullet. Get good groups. Uh, take that advice, and I promise you it's going to lead to a cleaner harvest in the woods and, and make you a more successful uh, muzzleloader hunter this coming fall. You know, that's a great point. And even coming up to rifle season, um, a lot of people, you know, they want the, the newest, quickest, best round. They want a new rifle. They, they, they try to they get all excited about the hype. But a lot of times your existing rifle I like I did my later years when I was still hunting big game and hot six and oh eight or what I hunted with. I know there's a lot sexier rounds out there, but getting the right round, like you said, dialing in like I, I did a lot of hunting in brush country. So I wanted a little bit slower, heavier bullet that wasn't going to deflect as well. But dialing in for your hunting conditions and the animal you're after is so, so much more critical than getting the new sexiest round. 
It's 100%, Terry. I mean, you have to be proficient with your weapon. I mean, accuracy. You want to make sure when it hits, it works. I agree 100%. I talked to people about that at, at Bass Pro this weekend. Everybody wanted the newer rounds, like the 6 millimeter, the PRCs, the, all of the latest and greatest. They were getting rid of the 270s, the 30 out 6s, all that. When in reality, keep your gun. Maybe upgrade your, uh, elect- or your overall optics on the rifle. Maybe play with some new ammunition. But there's a lot of things that you can do uh, to be proficient and create that success out there. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is just make sure you're in tune with your gear uh, to perform your best when you're out there in the field. Uh, and that's going to overall help you with your win 100%. You made a great point. If I was going to overspend on a rifle cope, scope combination, I would overspend on the optics before I would overspend on the rifle. 100%. I would say that my ratio, not saying you have to do this, but I spend double the amount of the rifle on optics on almost all my firearms. At the end of the day, that's where I put my, my emphasis. I put it on a good base, put it on good rings, so your entire mounting system is flawless. So you can be in the bumpy truck, be on the bumpy roads, and count on that rifle staying accurate. Uh, I promise you, at the end of the day, the rifles are almost always uh, going to perform better through all the conditions than your optics will. The optics are always going to be the weak link on the entire system. Again, high-end rings, high-end mounting plates. Make sure that the entire mounting system is flawless, better optics. Uh, I promise you that will hands down increase your success every time you're in the woods. Nate, we have a short show today, so we only have a minute or two left. What would you like to cover to wrap it up? You know, we're excited about it. So, again, fishing-wise, we have some awesome fishing. Um, A couple of things to think about. This coming Wednesday, September 6th, we are launching our Ice Addiction schedule. So, everybody that loves to come to Ice Addiction, this is our 10-year anniversary. We're excited to talk about it. Uh, So, coming up Wednesday, we'll be launching that schedule. Uh, So, stay tuned for that. Uh, Also, we do have a lot of water in Spinney. They're lowering the water, but I think we're going to have the best fall possible. I know I talked to some anglers last week that called me to book their trip and they were disappointed that I didn't have a lot of options for dates. If you want to get on what is probably the best trout fishing in the country is fishing those tubes in shallow water at spinning in later September and early October. If you want a date uh, book now, this is more of that public service. I don't want people mad at us. If we can't get them in. Uh, if you want to go on one of those epic spinning trips, Text us, email us, call us. Uh, we are filling up fast with anticipation of probably the best bite that we've had in many years coming up ahead of us. And I'm going to go talk to him about erasing that tape from last hour when I was talking about you. Oh, I got it. I got it locked in forever. (laughs) (laughs) My friend, thank you so much. Always you are a great contributor to the show. And this is a tough time of the year, my friend. It's tough to decide what to do. Holy cow, my busy. You got a lot of stuff going on. You cannot sleep this time of year, Terry. You can hear it in my voice. Uh, a little under the weather, I am pushing the, the limits of time. Night fishing, daytime scouting, uh, hunting, everything in between. So uh, we're going to forego sleep for about the next six weeks. Uh, take advantage, and we'll rest this uh, later fall. Yeah, make sure you get enough rest to take care of yourself, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. All right, Nate Flinsky, always, always a great, great, uh, contributor to the show. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, uh, the folks from Colorado Clays are going to join us, and we are going to continue to talk getting ready for hunting right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Just an old guitar player in a one called life. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. That was by the way, that was J.R. Pierce's favorite Wickstrom and Dover song that bumpered us into that uh, this segment. Is that right, Mr. Pierce? Oh, of course it is, Terry. Especially the, <laughs> hey, the, old, the old part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, watch it. We got limited limited time, so I want to get to a couple subjects with you. We'll make sure we get them both in. The first is dove hunting. It started, and um, Nate's kids made a comment when they were out dove hunting that they're harder to hit than clays, they said. They did harvest some doves, though. They had a great time. But if you're ever going to pattern your gun and get ready, we have, we're going to have a great extended dove season. Dove season might be the time to take advantage of that patterning board, right? Yeah, Terry, and, you know, like we've always said, we encourage everyone going into the field to take the time to check their equipment for safe and proper operation, uh, pattern their guns so they choose the correct combination of choke and ammunition 
So they not only put adequate pellets on target for whatever type of hunt they're on, but also determine the maximum effective range for that combination. And of course, it is a great way to flush out issues with gun mount, sight picture, gun fit, etc. Uh, and then, of course, practice on some targets that may represent the shots you might find in the field. And, of course, Terry, no better place to do that than Colorado Clays. Now, you had an interesting story about patterning your gun today, this week, didn't you? Yeah, Terry, and I'd like to share this because it just, it just shows the importance of what we've been preaching as far as this process. So we had a guy, he showed up. He went on, uh, was able to get on a feedlot to shoot some pigeons and Eurasian doves as a warm-up for dove season. Uh, he went out there, but he felt like he was having issues. Sometimes he was on, sometimes the bird got hit too hard, not enough. So, as always, we started at the pattern board. Um, turned out he's going to be going on a waterhole dove hunt. So we adjusted his choke and his load for a good 20 to 30 yard pattern. Everything looked good. But Terry, during the process, I did notice his pattern occasionally drifting up to 30 or 40 percent off to the right. Well, turns out um, we had him pull the gun up and with his eyes closed, open his eyes, take a shot. Um, Everything looked good when he was right down on the gun. But the gun was hitting him in the cheek, Terry, and occasionally making him feel that pain. And in anticipation of that, he was pulling his head off to one side, still using the front of the gun as reference, which in turn pulled his pattern to the other side. We determined that the gun didn't fit him correctly, uh, made shim adjustments to cast it a little bit on his comb, got him looking right down the barrel without getting hurt, and uh, everything was on the money. One thing I did ask him, Terry, and this is very interesting, uh, anytime he's out in the field hunting, he was occasionally pulling his head off that gun to keep from getting bit after a shot or two, kicking his pattern to the right. And I said, did you notice that you were a much better shooter on your longer right pattern or crossing targets than the left? And he said, yeah, and we figured it was because he had a built-in lead one direction and a built-in behind the other. So these little things that we've been preaching and talking about, you can really shout on that pattern board and make all the difference in your shooting. Even if you're a good shooter, you may not know what's happening without getting out here and trying it. Uh, it's such a great story. Get out to Colorado Clays, pattern your shotguns, and shoot some clays. The other thing, muzzle loader is right around the corner. You guys are muzzle loader friendly. Nate just talked about the fact that you got to get the right bullet. The right, he went through the amount of powder for the type of bullet and what you should be looking at. But boy, once you figure that out, you need to practice with that, and you're the place, right? Absolutely, Terry. Like I said, we're very muzzleloader friendly just because of our open-air design alone. Uh, that in itself is fantastic. But we also offer sitting, standing, or prone positions so you can practice for the type of hunting you're going to do. We do have padded benches and all the comforts of an indoor range with all that open air and natural light of outdoor. Uh, having 50 and 100 targets available um, a person can take and get your gun on target at a closer range and then reach out to the 100 where we do have the video viewing so you can actually do your sight in with a monitor in your bay in real time with no spotting equipment. And Terry, I will say, um, you know, here at Colorado Clays, we give you a target with your range fee, but if you need that extra target, they're only a dollar and targets are a lot cheaper than ammo. So make sure you get that intermediate target, get that gun dialed at close range first, and then start poking it out there. And uh, we're certainly here to help you get ready for season. And we don't want you changing your powder bullet combination in the field because you think the conditions are different. You really have to dial in what you're going to shoot and practice that, don't you? Of course, Terry, and, and the reason, again, uh, having watched this uh, for 24 years, the difference that a change in the powder, in the bullet, or that combination can make in your accuracy and your effective range is hard to believe at times unless you see it. And the best way to do that is to come to Colorado Clays, choose some loads, try some stuff, find your most accurate load, understand your maximum effective range and go into the field with that confidence and uh, you're going to have a much better hunt. In about a minute, when are you going to be starting your rifle sighting clinics because rifle season is only a month away? 
Yeah, Terry. So our clinic is going to be starting here uh, probably middle to end of September. The uh, exact dates, you can call in and check on that. One thing I will say, though, having the top staff in the industry that are as certified and qualified as anybody out there, don't be afraid to get a private uh, one-on-one for an hour with one of our top RSOs to dial yourself in or watch for our Rifle 101 uh, classes that can help you just learn the rifle in general. Uh, it's all coming up here at Colorado Clays, and uh, give us a call. We can find out what will suit you best and get you signed up. And I know there's somebody special at Parks and Wildlife that you want to give some kudos to. Yeah, so, Terry, you know, and uh, it, just last week we had that uh, going away party for Michelle at Bar Lake. And it was good to see you and Karen there as well. Uh, and I must say the number of people that attended it is really a testament to what a great job Michelle did, not only at Bar Lake State Park, but also with the local community. And even though we're going to miss her dearly, uh, there is no doubt that Cherry Creek State Park is only going to be that much better with her at the helm. So just want to say a big congratulations to Michelle. Um, hope everything goes just like you want. We got to go. How do people find you, my friend? Give us a call, 303-659-7117, or go to our website, coloradoclays.com. Check out the place. Look at the virtual tour. But uh, whatever you do, make sure and get in touch with us, and we'll take care of everything you need. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. we got to get out on the water soon, too. Yes, Terry. Let's do it. All right. Thank you. J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Just great people out there. It's, if you're into shooting, you just have to go there. Hey, we're going to wrap up this edition a little early. We have college football coming up. And I want to make a comment that I hope we get some representative college football in Colorado this year. It should be nice to get excited about it a little bit. But we're excited for the start of it. So I think we'll have a game coming up here at uh, 1030 that we'll go to. I want to thank you all for listening. Join us every Saturday from 9 to 11, usually a little early today. And also, uh, don't forget to go to the Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Follow our music, Wickstrom and Dobreth, on, uh, on all your social media and all your streaming services. I want to thank Colin for making this thing run in the studio. Karen, for putting it together and making me look like I know what I'm talking about. And certainly all you folks for following us over the years and following our Facebook information. We're going to let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and college football on 104.3 The Fan.